Uh, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Proverbs this morning. Uh, for those who uh, maybe weren't with us last week but have been with us uh, for some time, we know that we've been in a series uh, called Unfinished out of the book of Acts, and we've hit the pause button on that series, and we'll be picking that back up on Easter Sunday is when we'll uh, jump back into our Acts series and continue moving forward as we have in that. But uh, during this pause time in that series, we're doing an eight-week series that we've entitled, In God We Trust. And as a church, we embarked on a journey a couple of weeks ago as small groups, as well as in the pulpit ministry, to talk about what it means to be financially free from the issue of debt. Now, that's a very practical thing, and many will say, well, wait a minute, shouldn't we be talking about spiritual issues and that? And yes, uh, the issue of financial freedom and the issue of getting out of the bondage of debt is a spiritual matter and one that we recognize not only as a church but across our culture is one that we're failing at. And so as a church, we are taking uh, two months to kind of put our house in order, our personal finances in order. And so uh, during our small group times, we're looking at it from a very practical standpoint. Our groups are going through Financial Peace University and others are going through what is called the Legacy Journey. Uh, which helps us to understand how to manage our money to the glory of God and to use it in a way uh, that it can uh, serve not only us in a proper way, but also to serve God and honor Him with every uh, dollar and, and even penny that is that is spent. But as a congregation in the pulpit time, we want to look at the issue from more of a spiritual side. Not that the practical is bad, but we also want to look at it from a spiritual side. And in the last couple of weeks... We've been focusing on this idea of trusting God, because if we can't trust God, not only with our money, but our times and our talents and our family and our relationships and all of our life, if we can't trust Him, if we do not see Him as wholly trustworthy, then we'll never give Him those things. And the Bible says that when we keep those things to ourselves, we are fighting against God, not walking with Him. And so uh, over these uh, last couple of weeks, we have turned our attention to scriptures that remind us that God is completely trustworthy. And today we're going to ask the question, how do I begin to trust God in all facets of our lives? And this morning we're going to yet again another very famous passage in the Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, again, it's one of those coffee mugs. Uh, scriptures or paintings that you would, uh, scriptures you'd see on paintings or whatnot. Uh, this is a very famous passage of scripture, and this morning we want to look at it. And so if you don't have a Bible this morning, grab the Pew Bible and the Pew Rack in front of you or in the chairs in the back. You can find our passage on page 528. Page 528. Let me go ahead and read our passage. I'm going to look at verses 5 through 10 this morning, then I'll ask for the blessing of the word and and our time in it, and then we'll jump right into the text. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. 
Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Let's stop there and pray. Father God, we come before you and Lord, we have a decision to make this morning. It's a decision we need to make each and every morning and that is as we endure, as we live out this life and all that is involved in it, the myriad of decisions, the myriad of relationships, the known and the unknown events that are taking place in our lives, the decision that we must make, Lord, is will we do this in our own understanding, with our own thinking, with our own um, pool of experience and expertise, or will we each and every day in each and every decision, fall completely and totally in your hands, in your arms, knowing that you are far wiser, that you are more powerful, that you are perfectly faithful, that you are wholly trustworthy. Now, Lord, in church, it's easy to say, I will choose the latter instead of the former. I will choose to trust you. But, Lord, we know how easy it is to lean on our own understanding. And Lord, the temptation is ripe for us today. And so I pray that from the words of Solomon and from the words of your own mouth, that we would choose to trust you with all our heart. I know, Lord, as a pastor of these wonderful people, that some of them are dealing with difficult matters, hard situations, amazing scenarios in life where they need your wisdom, where they need your thinking. And so, Lord, I pray that this would be a reminder not to fall back on our own understanding, not to fall back on earthly wisdom that the book of James says comes from hell but that we would seek the wisdom that comes from God by wholly trusting and believing that You are the great I Am. So Lord, lead us and guide us this morning, I pray. Speak through me, Lord, I ask, in a powerful way that the lives of all those who listen might be changed. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, growing up, one of the highlights of the elementary school experience was a two-day, one-night trip that all fifth graders in my local elementary school would take to a retreat center about an hour from our school. Now, we had been on field trips before, but never did we get to take a pillow and a sleeping bag and uh, a fifth grade deodorant and all the other things that came along with it and it was something that when you got to fifth grade you were at the top of the food chain in that particular school and it was an awesome opportunity to get away from parents and to feel a sense of independence so 75 of us got on a couple buses with chaperones and teachers and we embarked on this journey where the motto or the theme of the trip was that we cannot do things on our own. We need help. 
And I remember even though it's becoming longer and longer of a time span between now and the fifth grade, I remember with great excitement because they said it was going to be a day and, and, and a retreat full of activities. And for a rambunctious young fifth grader, anything besides the classroom was a thumbs up proposal. And so we head there and the day's activities were filled with activities that weren't done by yourself, but everything had to do with a team. No matter your IQ, no matter your size or shape, no matter uh, your abilities, your strengths and weaknesses, everybody had a part to play because each of the different things we were asked to do would take a team of people to do it, not just one person. Now that retreat would culminate in the great truth and reminder that we all need to have that in living this life, we can't live it on our own. We can't try to accomplish all the things in the world on our own. We're going to need help. And, and by needing help, we're going to have to trust. And I remember for the first time, I had never been acquainted with this exercise before. They blindfolded some of us. Well, this is something new, I thought. And then they created a, a stage, if you will, maybe a little higher than, than the one I'm standing on. And they blindfolded one of the kids, and then they asked six or eight of us to stand in lines. And you can see the picture that I'm going to throw up on the screen for you. And what they then asked the child to do, fifth grader to do, is to lean backwards and just fall with the hope, with the belief, with the trust that their classmates were going to catch them. And I remember thinking, I'm just going to be real with you. I was not a svelte fifth grader. And I remember some of my fifth grade classmates who were girls were pretty small, okay? And I'm like thinking, you know what? I got all the trust in the world, but I don't know. And I remember thinking, I hope they ate their breakfast this morning because I know I did. Okay? And I remember as we did the exercise, there would be inevitably someone who would be fearful. They would begin to start to worry. And, and the kids that were on uh, the ground ready to catch them would not yell, you dummy, you, you imbecile, or some other derogatory term. What they would clearly announce to the person is, we can catch you. We've got enough strength. Just fall back. Trust us. We haven't, and they would begin to say this as they went on more and more, we haven't dropped anyone yet. But Tim hadn't gone. And this morning, as we come to a passage of Scripture on this issue of trust, what God is calling us to do is what I'd like to call the ultimate trust fall. You see, when we come to life, we come to life really blindfolded because we have no idea what is going to come. We have no idea what the world is going to throw our way. We have no idea tomorrow whether it's going to be a great day or a day of great sorrow and difficulty. And God is announcing to us, trust me, fall into my arms. And there are some this morning saying, but God, I don't know. God, have you seen the numbers on the scale? Mm, I don't know if you're strong enough, God. 
I'm not sure you've got the strength to carry me. And God, like my classmates, affirms and acknowledges, listen, I haven't dropped anyone yet. In fact, the Bible says, Jesus tells us, that we are safe in the hands of God and, and literally not even the devil can pluck us from the strength of God's grasp of us this morning. And so this morning we have to ask the question, am I willing to fall into the arms of the almighty, all-powerful God? Or will I seek to try to live this life on my own? The book of Proverbs is written by King Solomon. King Solomon, the wisest man, because he had asked of God that God would give him wisdom and God grants him this wisdom. And he would show this wisdom in a book of Proverbs, wise sayings that he was gifting, if you will, to his son and to us, his posterity. And in our text today, even though this was written more than 2,500 years ago, the truth is still true today as it was then, that it is far better for us to trust God than to lean on our own understanding. But to live out this ultimate trust fall, to trust God is going to involve three things this morning. And I want to look at them one by one and hopefully help you to understand this text a bit more so that you can apply it to your life. Number one, we have to be willing, if we're going to trust God, we've got to examine what this concept means. Now, we have our ideas, our thoughts on what trusting is. And the word for trust in the English language, in our English Bibles, is used more than 130 different times in all of Scripture. Do you think God has a desire for us to know this term? To speak of it 130 times is to make it one of the most used words in all of Scripture. And so God wants us not only to know this word, but to experience this word and to live it out each and every day. But this word that we use in our English vernacular for trust literally is only one word compared to the seven words the Hebrews used to explain different kinds of trusting. So we use one very broad term of trusting, and the Hebrews would use seven different ones to talk about different aspects of it. And under, if we were to combine all of those under one heading, we would literally understand trusting to be to throw oneself down upon. Write that down somewhere. To thrust or throw oneself down or upon. Now, how in the world can we illustrate that? Well, I look out and we've got hundreds of people illustrating that right now. You threw yourself down into the pew and you in the back in the chair. Now, I don't see any of you leaning on your own understanding. Because here's how I know. If that chair or that pew broke, you would fall flat on your rear end, right? And it would be ugly. It wouldn't be pretty. Why? Because you have placed all of your confidence, all of your hope, not only that that chair or that pew will hold you, but that those that are around you, especially those in the pew, that it's going to hold all of you. 
and you have faith. And so none of you are sitting up and, and kind of lifting your back ends, if you will, off of the, off of the fabric. You've placed yourself and you are resting in this idea that the chair or the pew that is underneath you will hold you. And so you have thrusted yourself, you have thrown yourself down onto something that you believe is altogether capable of holding you up. Now the Hebrew concept of this word covers much more. The idea is not only to place oneself or to throw oneself down on something, but it literally means to set one's hope or confidence in something outside of itself. It covers a much larger idea to the point of being secure. To trust means to literally fear nothing. So putting that all together, let's, let's put together a definition. You can write this in your outlines. A definition of trust is the following. Let's throw it up on the screen. Uh, trusting in God means abiding and resting in Him by discerning His goodness and greatness and knowing that you are being protected, embraced, and surrounded by His covenant love and compassion and favor no matter the circumstances. So let's just leave that on the screen there so you can write that down. Trusting in God means I'm going to walk with Him. You can't trust God one moment and then not trust Him the next and expect good results. It means abiding and resting. I'm going to throw myself onto the Lord. I'm going to trust Him with all of my weight, with all of my issues, with all of my struggles. And the reason why I'm trusting Him is I have discerned using my mind that God is altogether good and God is altogether great and He is able to hold me and uphold me by protecting me, by embracing me, by surrounding me in what? His love. So I'm trusting not only that He's going to hold me up and protect me, but He's going to do so in a loving and kind and gracious way. That way I have no fear of life no matter the circumstances. And so this idea of trusting is an idea that is closely connected to the idea of faith. In fact, trust and faith are, are, are brothers. That is, they share so many similarities, and yet they are themselves different. And so this concept of trusting is something that has to go on all the time. You have to know who God is, and you have to know how God is going to respond. And so in order to do that, in order to trust... Three things I want you to write down in your outlines this morning are important. Number one, to trust involves priority. Write that down. It involves priority. Here's a test. You want to know what you trust in this world? Where do you go when bad news comes? What's the first phone call? What's the first action? What's the first thing you're running to? Whatever it is, whoever it is, is what you're placing your trust in. So if a bad situation happens and the first thing you do is get on your phone and you look up your banking account information, you are trusting in your money to be the one that will save you from this issue. If your first phone call is to another human being 
and say, man, I don't know what to do. This situation happened. I'm not sure where to go. I'm confused. I'm scared. Help me, mom. Help me, dad. Help me, spouse. Help me, friend. Help me, pastor. Then we are running to them first. In an emergency, in a pinch, where are you going first? What, what or to whom is your priority? Number two, not only is trusting an issue that spells out the priority, notice number two, it's an issue of proximity. Proximity. Think of this for a moment. Rewind back to me, to my fifth grade trust fall experience. And, and you see the individual, and let's just use the stage as an example. Let's say, all right, I'm going to do a trust fall. Someone catch me. I'm going to be in trouble, right? There's nobody there. There's no one close enough to the situation, close enough to catch me. And so if I allow myself to fall without having someone right there to catch me, I will find myself in peril. We need to recognize to trust means that we have to be in close proximity to the one who we are expecting to catch us. We have to be near them. We have to uh, be a part of life with them. Because if there's a distance, if there is a separation between us, there's no way they will catch us in our time of need. There's a priority. There's proximity. And then write down this. History. History. So to be able to trust means that who are we running to first? They've got to be close. They've got to be ready to take care of us in our moment of need. And finally, history. We've got to know. We've got to know. And literally, we've had to experience that the one who is going to catch us has caught others in the past. This morning, I was helping a family out of uh, their car. And I uh, was helping them. Mom had the kids all coming out and dad was going to park the car. And there was a baby seat, a car seat. And I said, let me help you out and grab the car seat and started carrying it in. Well, they know me. They know that I haven't in the past taken a baby out of a car and then jumped into one of a white cargo van. It's close to home, I know. A white cargo van and headed off away with children. And so they could trust Pastor Tim is going to take our baby and going to walk our baby into the church and everything's going to be okay. See, we have to have a history with those to recognize, are they able to carry us in our hour of need or not? Listen very carefully. This morning, many of us here do not trust God as God has called us to, number one, because He isn't the first place we turn to when there's trouble. We go to all other manner of things, including ourselves. Number two, we can't trust God because He's so far away. We have not been abiding and resting on an ongoing basis. We've pushed God off. God, I, I don't need you. And therefore, when we need Him, he, he seemingly, in our mind, is too far away to catch us. And number three, the reason why, is we are so busy reading our own history that we have not picked up the Word, which is the history of God's faithfulness, that God, when He calls people to trust Him, story upon story, precept upon precept, is a record of God's unfailing love and faithfulness to His people.
And for some this morning, you're saying, well, I want to trust God. Well, how close are you to Him? How often do you turn to Him? And how often are you reading His record of how He has taken care of those who have placed their trust in Him? Now, we turn now to the text. And now that we understand what the definition and meaning of trust is and how we begin to do it, Proverbs 3 begins to give us a certain mindset. And we've got to exercise this mindset all the time. So as we exercise this mindset, Solomon says to us, trust in the Lord. For some of us, we're not spending enough time with the Lord to be able to trust Him. For some of us, we don't know that God is altogether trustworthy, so we choose other things. But how do we trust in the Lord? First of all, to trust in the Lord means we are to trust Him entirely. Entirely. Remember, the word trust is to throw oneself onto something else, onto someone else. And you cannot separate that. You cannot say, God, I trust you with my spiritual life, but I don't trust you with my physical life. God, I trust you uh, with part of my income, but not all of my income. God, I trust you with my house, but not my car. God, I trust you with my marriage, but not my children. God, I trust you with a project, but not my job. For some of us, we trust God certain days of the week, and then other days of the week, we lean on our own understanding. What we are being told is to throw your entire being. He says, trust the Lord. Trust the Lord with what? With all your hearts. That word heart there is to speak of your whole being. The command center, if you will, of all that you do. It is the spot by which every thought and every action begins. The heart, Hebrews used to Uh, believe and speak in that way so we trust God with all of who we are in all that we do whether it is physical emotional mental or spiritual if it is easy or if it's hard if it's a small thing or a large thing we thrust ourselves we throw ourselves into the hands of God and we say God catch me catch me Now notice, not only are we to trust entirely, we are to trust exclusively. Notice what it does not say. Trust in yourself. Trust in other people. Trust in possessions. Trust in products. Trust in programs. It says, trust in whom? The Lord. The Lord. The psalmist reminds us of this truth when he says some trust in chariots while some trust in horses. But we, there's a conscious decision, we could go the way of the world and trust the chariots and the horses of this world, but we make a decision as followers of Jesus Christ, we as those who have been saved by God's grace, trust in the name of the Lord our God. The psalmist replies. And while there are a lot of places where we can put our trust, the greatest enemy to trusting in the Lord with all our heart is ourselves. Notice he goes on and he says, 
throw yourself, thrust yourself upon the Lord with all of who you are and all facets of your life. And notice, and lean not on your own understanding. Now, God has given us a brain and God has given us common sense. What is he talking about here? He is talking about living according to the pattern of this world, which is the pattern that says there is no God. In fact, you are God. And so uh, the pattern of trusting in yourself is to say there is no God. He has no bearing. He has no uh ramifications within the life that I live. And so therefore, because I am at the top of the food chain, therefore I will put all my trust and I will put all of my faith and hope in myself and in my thinking, in my plans, in my desires, in my hopes and in my dreams. And we go about doing this. Now you say, well, Tim, I I, I don't do that. Well, I want you to notice the phrase lean. Do not lean. So we have this idea of thrusting into the hands of the Lord. And then we have this leaning. It's kind of a a half-baked idea. It's kind of quasi-trusting and quasi-not trusting. And the best way to illustrate it was years ago we were in a shopping center. And we had Noah with us. He was probably six or seven years of age, maybe uh, a little older or, or younger. I can't quite remember. And he, he was an independent little boy. And he would say, Dad, I want to go look at this game. And I said, no. Dad, I want to go look at this game. I said, no, son, no. Stay with me. And before I know it, he's inching farther and farther and farther away. Being the wise father to the chagrin of his mother, I let him go farther and farther away now he didn't know this but i'm keeping a watchful eye on him and now he is meandering through the store and i i wish i had a camera to show you his face he was filled with glee and joy i am on my own i've got no parents to guide me or lead me I can buy all that I want even though I don't have any money. I can go to what aisles I want, spend as much time there as I want. The guy is filled with an independent joy that he had not experienced before. Until. Until. You see, some of us, some of us love that independence. Some of us love to announce to the world we trust in the Lord, but really we're leaning on our own understanding. We love that independence. We love that ability to be able to do what we want, when we want, how we want, to spend our money, to to spend our time on the things we want to spend them on. We love it and we are filled with joy until... So now 15 minutes has gone by. And Noah is out and about and he's just going wherever the wind takes him. And I remember at a moment that he never saw coming, It dawned on him, where are my parents? This game is done. This this trip is over. And he looked around and he's like, how did I get here? And, And you could watch because he's just spinning around in circles. And that face full of joy turned to a face of dread. And his dad's watching. And again, to the chagrin of his mother, I left him there. I left him there. 
Because I wanted my son at a young age to recognize that in this world there's going to be a lot of temptations. There's going to be a lot of things that draw your attention. But you need to stay within a trusted friend, a trusted parent, a trusted, and the biggest truth, a trusted God. Stay within their parameters. And sheer terror struck my young son. And his arms came down. And he began to weep. And he began to cry. And he began to, Dad! Dad! In the middle of the aisle, Dad! And then I came slowly. I said, Son, where'd you go? I've been looking for you. He says, Dad, I went to my aisle, and then I saw this, and then I saw that, and then I got lost. I said, son, you were lost way before you got to that aisle. And some of us this morning find ourselves in a place that we did not see coming, and we enjoyed the wind in our hair. We enjoyed the independence. We enjoyed the opportunity to do what we have wanted. But a circumstance, a consequence has come. And we throw down our arms and our shoulders slump and we say, God, God, where are you? And I will tell you, like a good father, God sometimes leaves us in that place to grow us and for us to recognize that we need to trust Him, not ourselves. And this morning, some of us need to acknowledge that we've been leaning far too much on our own understanding and not trusting God enough. We are called to trust God entirely and exclusively. We are to trust in Him. Notice we are to trust Him exactly. Exactly. The text goes on, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways. In all your ways. You can't just trust God at this moment and say, I'm good for the week. In everything that you do, whether at home or in the workplace or in your community, whether you are surrounded by believers or non-believers alike, in all your ways, you are to be trusting Him. God is exact on that. God doesn't say, you know, give me 50% of your trust. That would be a misnomer. God doesn't say, give me trust at least half of the week. God doesn't say, trust me with half of your paycheck. God says, trust me with everything. In everything that you do. With everything that you say. Trust me. One person said, the best prayer one can pray who trusts in the Lord is a simple one. Lord, I trust you in any place, at any time, no matter any cost. God, I'll trust you as long as you don't change the direction of my life. Lord, I'll trust you as long as you let me serve in my cushy middle class life. God, I'll trust you if you allow me to do what I want when I want. God says, no, you're going to do it my way or you can keep leaning on your own understanding. And I will tell you, when you trust in yourself, the Bible calls you a fool. The book of Proverbs says, He who trusts in himself is a fool, but the righteous will thrive like a garden of lush greens. And so you've got a choice to make. I've got a choice to make in every decision of my life. Am I going to wake up 
tomorrow morning with an open hand approach, God, I am yours. Use me, mold me, make me, serve, use me to serve in whatever way that you want. I am secondary. You are primary. We've got to trust him exactly. Notice explicitly, finally, explicitly. It would seem that our trust in God is so well-rounded that it's hard to squeeze it down to a particular step. To trust God in all things seems a bit ambiguous. But Solomon does exactly what we need. He spells very quickly one way we can trust, one very uh, simple and practical step to trusting God, he says is in the text, honor, verse 9, the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. So you say, okay, where do I start? Solomon says... Start with your pocketbook. The Bible, Jesus tells us, tells us that our treasure is where our heart is. And if we treasure money, well, that's where our heart's going to go. If we treasure possessions, our heart's going to go that way. And God wants to get the heart. Remember, trust the Lord with all your heart. And He knows, as we learned last week, that our heart is directly connected by some nerve that you can't find on an MRI, some nerve to our pocketbooks. And the way we use our money will determine and will show the world the things we trust in. Do we trust in the Lord or do we trust in our stuff? Do we trust in the Lord or do we trust in our portfolios? Here is what Solomon says. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Respect Him. Esteem Him. Show Him that you trust Him. Show Him that you're willing to follow with your finances. Proverbs 11.28 says, Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish. We have to open our lives, including our wealth, and be open-handed with it. Jesus met a man who wanted to trust Him. He came and He said, listen, what must I do to follow you? And Jesus started having this conversation. He was a young man. He was a wealthy man. And Jesus said, listen, what are the great commandments? He says, I've followed all the great commandments to love God and to love my neighbor. And he says, then go and sell all that you have and come follow me. And the Bible makes it clear that the man goes away disappointed. You see, there's a connection to our money to trusting God. And that's why I live and I love living in a country that right on our money, listen, boys and girls, we don't have an excuse. Our money says in God we trust. And yet how often... Do we trust those bills in our wallets more than the God who gives them? He explicitly tells us, trust the Lord with your finances. So how do we do this? How do we trust God? How do we go about it? First, it means we must elevate God. Notice he says in the text, in all our ways we acknowledge Him. We revere Him. Notice verse 7, we fear Him, that is respect and honor and worship and esteem Him over self, over spouse, over stuff. He becomes our all 
in all. That is to see Him for who He is. To trust the Lord and acknowledge Him is to acknowledge the existence of who He is. He is Creator God. He created all that is seen and unseen. He created you and me. He created all of this for His purpose and for His glory. And we've got to start understanding that we are less than Him. Way less than Him. And we've got to acknowledge Him for who He is. The One who calls us to throw ourselves into His hands, listen, already has us there. He chooses when we're born. He chooses when we die. And He orders the events of every human being that not a single thing happens without His direct written consents. And what God's saying is, you either can fight me on it, or you can walk lockstep with me all the ways. We've got to acknowledge Him. We've got to acknowledge Him by elevating Him. And so what it means is, God, what do you want me to do today? God, with regards to this purchase, is this what I should be doing? God, with regards to this relationship, where are you at on this? God, with regards to my dreams or my plans, are you in it or are you not? And I'm going to sit and I'm going to wait until I hear from you. Because you are the one who has veto power in my life. And I'm going to wait until you sign that bill that says buy this or, or, or marry this person or involve yourself in this endeavor. I am going to wait because you are the God of the universe and I want to acknowledge the place that you have. Number two. You've got to eliminate sin. The text tells us that not only are we to acknowledge Him in all our ways, but it tells us we are to fear the Lord, in verse 7, by turning away from evil. Well, the evil that we struggle with begins by being wise, verse 7 says, in our own eyes. And so here's the dilemma. Instead of acknowledging God, We acknowledge self. Instead of honoring God, we honor self. Instead of saying, you're the all-true, all-wise God, we say, I'm the wise guy. And God says, you got to eliminate that. you got to turn from your evil ways. You cannot trust God and pursue the sins of the flesh. You cannot trust God and have a haughty mindset. You cannot trust God and then do what you want to do. Those things are mutually exclusive of one another. We've got to elevate God and we've got to eliminate sin. That and only then can we trust God for who He is. But why would we do it? Why would we do this? Notice the proverb finishes up with a clear motivation. And we've got to embrace this. We've got to embrace this clear motivation. God doesn't say, just trust me and I won't tell you what will happen. God says, if you'll trust me, Let me show you some of what you can find. Now, I want to remind you that when we talk about things, we're not preaching from the book of promises, but the book of Proverbs. And so these aren't guarantees. These aren't bona fide. Listen, if you do A plus B, it will always equal C. But notice in your outline, what we say is it will position you well for the opportunity to see some of these things. And so what happens when we trust God? Notice we are brought clarity. Clarity. He will make our paths straight. What that means is God will lead you and and He will guide you. Like a good shepherd, He knows your needs. 
and He will lead you to green pastures. He will lead you by still waters. He will do all that you need to have your soul restored. And some of us need that right now. Some of us need clarity. And the reason why we don't have clarity is we are trying to live this life on our own and we are limited and finite in our ability and understanding to know why and how this world operates and does what it does. And so we need a God who's overseeing the entire game plan and say, listen, I can lead you through it. He brings clarity. Notice he brings vitality. Vitality. Verse 8. He says that when we honor and trust the Lord, it will be healing to our flesh and refreshment to our bones. So there's this physical, if you will, uh, dynamic that comes. First of all, healing to our flesh literally is uh, the idea in in many other translations would be uh, said this way, health to your navel. What in the world? Health to your navel? Okay, well, your navel's right here, your midsection. And every one of us has a belly button. I don't know if you know that or not, okay? And that belly button had a purpose. And we start to forget what that purpose was. It was nourishing us as a child in utero as we were being fed from our mothers. And, and what is being said here is you are being nourished. You are being fed. And when we trust God, God says, listen, I'm not going to trust you into a, de- I'm not going to have you trust me and lead you into a desert and leave you there. I'm going to give you all that you need to be nourished for the journey. You will be sustained. You will be taken care of. You will have all that you need. Now notice he goes on and he says, not only will you be nourished, but you'll be strengthened. He says that there will be refreshment to your bones. Uh, another translation says marrow to your bones. Marrow is that which keeps your bones becoming, from becoming brittle, from breaking easily. And so God says, listen, as you trust me, I'm going to feed you, I'm going to care for you, and I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to strengthen you. And so you've watched people walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And you've watched them fear no evil. And you're like, well, how, how do they have that countenance? How can they do that? Because they're being nourished by God. Because their bones, even though it may be being eaten up by cancer, their bones are strengthened within them because they are trusting God. And we've got to trust God because when that difficult situation comes up, we've got to trust because it is then and only then that God is able to minister to us and care for us and strengthen us in our hour of need. And then he says, we position ourselves well for plenty. He goes on and he changes metaphors from the body to our possessions. He says, when we honor the Lord with our wealth, then our barns will be filled with plenty and our vats will be bursting with wine. And so we're given this plenty. Now, right before you think that what the proverb is writing, uh, Solomon is writing here this morning, is a prosperity theology, I want you to recognize and remember this. When you have plenty, God always expects you to live generously. And so don't ever forget that. 
Don't think, oh, you know what? My barns are full. My vats are bursting. Oh, it's a good day for me. I get to keep it. No, God has blessed you as He did the nation of Israel to be a blessing to other people. You know what is great is when you can say, listen, I've trusted the Lord in my hour of need. God has blessed me. He has taken care of me. He's given me all that I need and so much more. And I want to witness to you how trusting the Lord is key by giving away the very thing that erodes my trust, money. I want to give it to you so that you will recognize and know the blessing that comes from trusting. Who needs clarity today? Who needs vitality? Who's in a place of lack and, and needing plenty? Turn to the God. Throw yourself on Him. And the Bible says, He will make your paths straight.